The Six Pointer Podcast. Yeah, hello and welcome to the Six Pointer Podcast. I'm very pleased to be joined by Mr. Lee Usher and Mr. David Hilberty, who are both north of, the, of well, I say north of the border. Lee Usher is from north of Watford, so that's pretty much my north of, north, north of the border for me. And then uh, David is joining us from Glasgow, and we're here together by the miracle of technology. How are we, boys? Yeah, good, good. Good morning, Seals. Healthy, that's the main thing. Yes, exactly, mate. Yeah, everyone's, everyone's healthy, and let's hope it continues that way. Um, so, yeah, we were just having a chat, weren't we, around sort of all that's going on in the world and how this affects the football season and how we're unbelievably bored without football. Um, so we thought, why not have a little bit of the, the podcast on a discussion around sort of where we see it going or the sort of theories behind what could, what could happen. Um, I guess, David, it's, it might be a good place to start with you, given that the Scottish League, you know, obviously is a different format in the sense that it splits after... A, would it be another three games or so? Would it four games maybe that it was split? Um, so it'd be interesting maybe to get your views on you know what what's going to happen, especially considering you're a Celtic fan and they're top of the league and on the way to winning the title. Yeah, do you know what's the thing? And we kind of touched up on this, but I haven't spoken about football for about two weeks. You know, which is really unusual in itself because if you guys are anything like me, you go into your work. Those guys you talked about football, you come home, you get mates you talked about football, yeah. you're about football every single day. Uh, I was looking back at the calendar just this past year, and Celtic have played something like 14 games since the turn of the year. There's been a cycle of weekend, mid weekend, midweek, so there's always a game to talk about, whether it's just finished or it's about to start. So there's been a real sort of with. I think in, in, in all of our lives, if that sounds overly sort of melodramatic. But the, the thing for me, I haven't really thought about it so much over the last sort of, few days or so. And I, I think we mentioned this in the group chat, but I think the sort of, seriousness of the situation has escalated to such a point that the conversations you were having maybe a fortnight ago about what should happen with the title, they now seem a wee bit sort of, out of touch. Mm. You know, the the severeness of the situation. I think my absolute preference, though, would be if the season can be finished, even if the season runs into September, October, November, I think my team finish what you started because we could start something else anyway and then we're guaranteed that that ends. So, yeah. uh, I, I'm not, it's, it's, it's so difficult. What's your guys' take on it? Oh, no. Well, I, I mean, from our point of view, from Sunderland's point of view, we, we went on a bit of a bad run. I don't know if you followed uh, yeah. our results, but I think it was from memory. It's funny, you know, though, Dave, just you, you saying that I've not talked about football at all since uh, since this, so it's all going to be uh, hazy. But the last four or five games, I think we'd have one win, and uh, we'd lost a couple of important games as well. So we dropped out of the, uh, of the top six. And it was starting to look a bit like, oh, God, we're going through a blip. But taking all the personal stuff and the biases aside, I just find I find it really difficult to get my head around. They'll stop the season without finishing it and then start yeah. from scratch. 
next year in Liverpool. I know that more might, uh, lots of people hate them, lots of people that are, want them to, to, to win the title for the first time, lots of people think it would be hilarious if they didn't. I just think, if you think of the fans, it's so unfair, isn't it? They're, they're that far ahead. Is it 25 points or something now they're ahead? It's, it just seems wrong that they, they can't get the opportunity to finish what they've started. Uh, or even if they do done this, the, the fact they can't celebrate it in front of their own fans. It would uh, another kick in the teeth, wouldn't it? Uh, but uh, so, so for me, if they can somehow finish it um, behind closed doors, whatever, I, I don't know. That, that would be my preference. Um, but if they don't, you, you can't have one rule by Liverpool just because they're 25 points ahead and then another rule for, say, whoever's in eighth or, or seventh spot now in the Premier League, and they, they might not have the, the points difference, but you, what, where's the cut-off? Yeah. So you, you've got to finish the season or not finish the season, is my view. Yeah, I, I, I think they will finish it. I think I mentioned in the group chat as well that I, I just see there's too much money involved, especially at Premier League level, for them to, to not... Not, not see it through to the finish. I mean, even if it's the case that the rest of the games are played behind closed doors and, and whatever, I mean, you've also got to consider there's the FA Cup games as well, Europa League, Champions League. Um, so there's a lot, a lot still of football still to play off, let alone the sort of the playoffs as well. Um, so I, I still think it will finish. Uh, more likely that, you know, it kicks off maybe again in June and you'll have two games a week, you know, maybe Wednesday, Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday. Um and the FA Cup will obviously have to squeeze around that as well. There'll be no sort of stopping the Premier League or stopping, you know, some leagues just to play that. Um, but yeah, I, and the fact that obviously they've, they've moved the Euros now. Um, I, I was thinking I was saying to, to David earlier that, you know, with the World Cup, um, you know, being a Winter World Cup, maybe there's an opportunity here to reschedule the season so it works, so that finishes just in time for the Winter World Cup to start. Who, who knows, you know, that might yeah. be an opportunity. Do you, do you know what? I think that's a that's a great idea, and I'm sure I heard Wayne Rooney talk about this uh, a couple of weeks ago. But why do we in England have um, a break in summer and not a break in winter? Yeah. It's it's awful sitting or standing uh, with the freezing cold wind and the wet rain uh, blowing in your face winter time. Why not have a winter break like we've talked about for so long? It's an ideal time to maybe do something. I'm sure they're talking about that, uh, but it'll just take some planning, won't it? Well, they, they trialled this staggered winter break, didn't they, this season, which, which wasn't really a winter break. It just meant that you know, I think 10 teams or 8 teams at a time had, uh, had a week off, didn't they? Um, but it wasn't really a break. I mean, obviously, you, don't, you guys know that I follow a lot of Danish football and obviously they, they have a winter break because they start in July. Um, their winter break runs from, I think it's like the second week in December through to the second week in February. So you've really got sort of a long period of time off there. And you look at other Scandinavian countries as well. I know... Britain is in a Scandinavian country, but we, you know, we're, we're sort of not as cold, but we still get the uh, still get the, the cold weather. Um, their seasons run from sort of March, April till till November, October to avoid the, to avoid the winter. So, you know, maybe it's an opportunity to restructure just just for a season or two to, to work around that way. And, and they're going to have to do something for the World Cup anyway. Um, yeah, I think so. so. Yeah, they would have never allowed the Premier League to run throughout it. Um, yeah. So maybe we're seeing sort of some of those. Plans as well being brought forward. Who knows? We've got a winter break in Scotland that runs for three weeks, and uh, the, the reason I mentioned that is the, the timing of this situation. It's as I know it's, it's completely. Uh, it's, it's just sort of happened random, but at the time of the winter break, 
Rangers had just beat Celtic at Celtic Park and they went a point behind with hand or two points behind with a game in hand. Now, can you imagine if this pandemic took effect then? At this moment, Celtic have got a pretty healthy gap. It's 13 points, not as much as Liverpool at 25, but 13 points. So it, it made decisions about calling it that a little bit easier. But can you imagine the controversy if they called a league? With a team just a few points back, uh, with a game in hand, for example, variation across other countries in Europe. I think in Italy, it's really close. Spain, it's pretty close. And I just wonder if this might be dictated by a sort of UEFA wide decision, rather than each independent association. Uh, so for example, as we said, we're way, way, way ahead, but other clubs across Europe are not so far ahead, and. and uh, they're just different. The decision, as we said, the decision won't suit anybody whether they're in first or eighth, but the decision won't suit anybody depending on what country you're in. You know, and with European football factoring in as well, it, I think that's a, a relevant consideration. No, that's, that's a good shout. I, I don't actually thought about that, but I think you're right, especially where you consider the, the Champions League, which is UEFA's crown jewel, as it were, apart from the European Championships, obviously, which they've already postponed. So that maybe puts a little more more emphasis on the Champions League and the Europa League um, to to be their sort of their their standing blocks for their organisation, as it were. So yeah, to bring everyone in line would be a, a good idea. Um, but it, it's a logistical nightmare, isn't it? When you can consider how many moving parts there are, and it, it's you know I, I don't envy the person making that decision. I tell you what, I am looking forward to the first game back uh, at normality in the the, the atmosphere. Wow. Uh, I think the results will go out the window. People will not be bothered about that. I think yeah. there'll be absolutely carnival atmospheres up and down the country. Yeah, yeah I think you're right there. I mean, yeah, everyone, everyone's looking forward to that, but you know, that's uh, I think maybe a long way off. But just just the fact that just being able to have watch your team on the TV would be a, a, a bit of a, a, a light relief at the moment. Yeah. Hey, but 2021, you've got the Euros, and then the year after, you've got the World Cup. Yeah. After this, we're going through a bit of uh, bit of turmoil at the minute, but the next two years, football-wise, is going to be cracking, isn't it? It's quite funny, isn't it? Because I always think about like when there's a summer, when there's a European Championship, the World Cup, and there's obviously football on all the time, especially when there's a World Cup because of the size of the the, the, the groups and and things like that, and how many games people play. Obviously, you know. If it's in a far-flung country as well, you, you can sometimes wake up at 9 o'clock in the morning, turn the TV on, and there's a game on. You think, brilliant, you know, I'm going to watch Saudi Arabia versus Iran or whatever, just because you can. Um, and it doesn't get boring. And then after that, you know, the next summer, you sort of think, oh, this is a bit shit about you, but wasn't it? You know, so, <laughs> so that we are going to be spoilt, hopefully, you know, with two, with two consecutive um, summers of, 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 of solid football. Yeah. Mind you, there's some good stuff on, um, on Sky. Looking through the old uh, Premier League years. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, I think I told you, I don't know if you lads have watched it yet, but one of the, if not the best sports documentary I've seen in a long time is that Maradona film. I, I'm, I haven't watched it yet, but um, you, you saw it's it. Both, did you? Have you seen it, David? Not yet. It's on the watch list. Mm. Honestly, it's, it's brilliant. I mean, um, it's obviously about his football career, but. It's about his life outside of football, the move to, to Naples at a time when, because um, I, I, I was just a young kid at the time, so I grew up 
with Maradona, like kids are growing up with Messi now. Yeah. Maradona was my idol, and I used to uh, sort of watch him playing in the Italian leagues and whatnot. But he was just such a good player to watch. But what I didn't know was all of the story around it and the, the mafia and the influence they had in his move and then the hold they had over him when he was there. Oh, brilliant. Fascinating view. I look forward to watching that, mate. I must admit, I only just got around to finishing the Bobby Robson um, documentary which is on Netflix um, last weekend, and I thought that was really good. And, and you know, obviously, it's a bit hard to watch at the end, you know, but um, but it's a, it's a brilliant story, and I think it's it's one of those. He, I think he says it as well, and it's. I don't want to, cook, you know, draw too many parallels with him and Roy Hudson, but there is, you know, similarities in the things that they talk and the way that they speak as well. And he says that, you know, I don't think he's, he's like a, an artist. No one's really appreciates a good football manager until they're gone, unfortunately. Um, yeah. I think that's probably true. You know, when you look at sort of who you consider the great managers over time, probably in their, in their peak, you know, obviously they were considered great if they're winning things. Um, but a lot of, a lot of managers who maybe aren't at that top level, are not appreciated until perhaps it's too late. Well, you know, Bobby Robson, um, I've, I've been told to watch that as well, Luke, so I will give that a look. It's supposed to be good. Very good. Um, b- before, was it Italian 90? Mm. He came in for a, a, a lot of ridicule, didn't he, from, from some of the press? And I don't think really he still got the recognition until afterwards. He didn't get the recognition uh, for what he achieved in the game. But when you've got players like Ronaldo, Brazilian Ronaldo, saying he's the best coach he's ever played mm. under, and he sort of moulded him into the player he was. Alan Shearer said he speaks so highly of Bobby Robson. You, you don't get that sort of acclaim from those types of players unless you're doing something right. Yeah. And God, he came so clear, close with England in that World Cup as well. Mm. Sorry, David, you'll not want to hear this bit, will you? <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> On the, on the subject of uh, football documentaries, there's a brilliant one in Hackwell just now, uh, and you won't be surprised. Uh, it's, it's coming from me, it's from Celtic, but it's called Glasgow 1967. Right. 1967 Celtic were the first British club uh, and the first non Latin European club to win the European Cup. Uh, all 11 guys were born within a 20 mile radius of Glasgow. I mean, that'll never happen again. You might have some. Uh, well, everybody's born within the 20 mile radius in a football stadium that comes from. And it's a brilliant documentary that sums up the team, but also uh, Glasgow at that time. And uh, they beat an Inter Milan side in the final. Now, Inter Milan were known for the cat and actual style, the bulk tight uh, defence. They are so negative. Wait till you see the pictures of this game. Never seen anything like it. They'll give Celtic the ball. And uh, just let Celtic come at them, but they'll stay tight. Uh, they didn't hold out. They gave 2-1, spoiler alert. Uh, mm. But it's a terrific programme, both in terms of good football being horrible, anti-football. Uh, uh, also just summing up a, a very sort of particular time. Uh-huh. Sergeant Pepper by the Beatles came out. That's a good week. And uh, Celtic won the European Cup final. <laughs> Sergeant Pepper a week later. I'll give it a look. I'll, yeah, well, there's plenty of time to be watching stuff like that, so I'll, uh, I'll add that on my list as well. So that's the thing, is that that's one of the beauties of these sort of things that I I, I, I was a bit annoyed at myself for not cancelling Amazon Prime after my 30 day trial ended, but now I'm loving it because I've got so much stuff to watch on there. <laughs> but let's bring it back around to football. Lee, you said something interesting earlier about the Premier League years. It made me think like 
David, I know there's a few play, new things on Sky around the Scottish football, but you don't actually get that much dedicated time, do you, when you think about the, the programmes? Like, you don't get anything like the Premier League years and things like that in, in a Scottish edition, do you? No, you're absolutely right. Uh, I, think, I think we've spoken before about how, and, and naturally because there's a bigger audience, but the Sky money that goes to Scotland is a complete, uh, it's a fraction yeah. of money that goes to the... Uh, the, the clubs in the, the EPL or even the Championship for that matter uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised if the kind of TV deals that Celtic are in the Premier League is more in line with what's happening in, in League One uh, Celtic make their money through European football player sales uh, where last, if you look at I remember probably Bournemouth and I think something like 90% their revenue was from TV deals which yeah. is astonishing it's probably about 10% for a club like Celtic uh, we had a, we just lost a, a BT Sport deal, so Sky have got the full Scottish rights now. But in fairness to BT, they they gave Scottish football a wee bit more uh, respect and coverage than, than Sky do. But that deal's come to an end now. At the end of May, was a bit disappointing. There's a lot of good stuff on YouTube, a lot of fan uh, content. But you're right in terms of the Sky stuff, it it's kind of cast aside. That pragmatic perspective there's not the same audience you know and the English Premier League is the, the biggest uh, league in the world so it's it's natural that there's mm. a big focus on that in the sky schedules you say, you say you watch stuff on YouTube You're not, we aren't talking about these people who sit at games and go, me I want you to be on the show the people, have you seen it people who film themselves whilst they're watching a, whilst they're watching a game these, what are they called? Vloggers? Are they, is it vlogger or is it something else? I don't know. I just thought, I don't know, like the YouTubers who, uh, I know what you mean. They try and capture the reaction and it's either yeah, a really good like, reaction or I, I, I always just think, you know, just turn the, t- turn, turn the camera around under an 80 and it's actually yeah. seeing something interesting rather than your face. But <laughs> I don't know. What, what are your boys? Have you actually cut, seen any of that actually in, in the flesh as well? I don't I've seen it at uh, the stadium. I like it, to be honest. Of course. It's becoming like that's that's the world we live in now. So it's only a matter of time before someone next to us is doing it. Well, yeah. I, I guess it may be maybe seen as slightly hypocritical given the fact that I'm recording a podcast right now. But <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not I'm not recording our faces, you know. And it's I don't know. It just seems a bit. Actually, yeah. Talking about this, did we not see uh, a Luke Terry reaction at a recent Edgeburg game? When, well, that, uh, that, that was my brother was uh, was filming it, wasn't he? Yeah. Oh, that's right. Well, yeah, so you weren't filming that yourself? It was a reaction. That's I'd have to have long arms to be filming that one, mate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I definitely wasn't filming that myself. I think my brother was filming it, given the fact that he knew there was thirty seconds left of um, injury time. Just, just uh, as a little aside, uh, I'm, go- I'm going to set a quiz question. You don't have to answer it now, but something to think about over the next 10, 15 minutes. And, uh, and it's just come to my mind talking about English Scottish football. So you might have already been asked this question. No cheating if you haven't, though. There's one player who's played in a Merseyside derby, a Manchester derby, and a Glasgow derby. Do you know who that is? Roy Keane. Nope. No. Right, just... Um, you, know, you know the answer to this, right? Yeah, I think you should know the answer, yeah? <laughs> David? Kanchelskis. Oh! He's got his straight Back away. Back of the net. <laughs> yeah. Easy. Google that, did you not? No, he's on his phone, isn't he? No, no. Of course he is, huh? Oh, well, well done. Yes, fly him, are you? Andre Kanchelski. Where, do you, where did you get that from, Lee? 
Who, me? Yeah, where'd you get that from? Somebody asked me it, and I googled the answer. Well, <laughs> 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 it's, a, it's a cracking quiz question. Um, now, what a player he was. I don't know if you lads mm. can remember too much of him, but oof, he, he's the type. When, when Manchester United were good, he was the typical type Manchester uh, Manchester United type winger, wasn't he? Just flying winger, direct, got the goals, assists. Yeah. I don't know why, for some reason, I was thinking, I know you took it to Andre from Chelsea, so I was thinking about Georgie Conclatsy. Of course, he played for Man City, not Man, Man United, didn't he? But what a player he was. Yeah. But that, that was probably the same sort of era, wasn't it? Um, what, yeah. 1945, uh, 5, 6, maybe? Yeah. Okay, I, I think I think that question a little bit. Not quite a bit. You, you, you'll get it sooner if, if you know sort of Scottish football. Right. You know? Yeah. Uh, but uh, they couldn't afford the wages. So they, they set up a, what they, they, they called an employee benefit trust. But they, they paid millions of pounds into this trust. That he could then draw down tax free. They described it as a loan, uh, but of course it wasn't a loan. And uh, the, the sort of main bit I'm getting to with that is that the use of these EBTs, employee benefit trusts, was the reason why the first Rangers went bust, uh, because it was considered a tax avoidance. They, they had liabilities of like 70 million quid to pay HMRC. So not only did he. Uh, did he feature in those three derby games? But he was a big back from the demise of the, the first Rangers football. Really? I didn't know that. Interesting. That's a great shot. Have you got anything else like that? Yeah, throw it away. Um, but yeah, going back to, to the topic we were talking about earlier, obviously we mentioned off off air, off off pod, that, um, that yeah, the non league football's obviously finished already. And I think I read an article as well the other day that it was the team that was, I think it was, you know, Four games away from the end of the season, they were. I think they were ten points clear, and yet for some strange reason, the way that the non-league football was ended, um, they're not actually going to be promoted this season, which just seems a a huge um, disappointment, especially when you consider non-league football as well. I mean, I can understand why they need to call it a day if people aren't going to be able to attend the games because you know they're not making any money off non-match day revenue are they it's all it's literally all match day revenue for them so if people can't turn up to games then it's not profitable for them I, I, I get that but I mean when you go up further up the leagues you know to league two one I mean especially the championship of the Premier League you know these teams you know some of them don't need to rely on the match day revenue I think that especially when you look at championship and Premier League you know TV money you know what you were saying earlier David it's, it's that vast now that they can survive, whereas the teams in League 1 and 2, and maybe even Scottish football, you know, has is, is got to really be, really be feeling the crunch here. And we've, we've sort of seen throughout the week um, clubs asking their players to take pay cuts and, and this, that and the other. I mean, whether that will be a case that, um, you know, the rest of it will be filled by the government wage bill, I, I, I don't know. Um but yeah, it'd be interesting to get your, your guys' views on, on that. And, you know, are, are we potentially going to be seeing more buries? Yeah, um, I mean, we, we were talking to a, uh, a chap who, he works at the Football Supporters Federation, I think I might have mentioned this on our pod before, yeah, and, and they've got like a, a watch list of so many clubs, and he said it, it's scary uh, just how many clubs are at, at risk, and this was before anything like what's happened now, so I, I think, yeah, Luke, I would, uh, I, I would say that that's probably just been exhibited now in terms of how many more clubs are. Um, likely to go bust yeah. but 
if they haven't got the crowds, which they'll not do for the next, at least in, well, this season, potentially the start of next, where does the money come from? They don't get any sponsorship deals or anything like that. They don't, most of them, uh, if they do, there'll not be a vast amount of money. No, I, th- I think you, you may see a scenario where, you know, that the Premier League and Championship continues behind closed doors, but Leagues 1 and 2 are told to shut up shop and maybe you'll see, I, I, I don't think they're shift around the Premier League too much. We haven't seen that sort of, you know, change in team numbers since 94, 95 when Palace were the last team, I think, to be relegated in something stupid like with 51 points or something like that, um, finishing fourth from bottom. Um, but... Not, not that that still sticks in my mind at all, but, um, <laughs> but you know, you're more likely to see a, a, a sort of change in championship um, yeah. and League One teams, aren't you? I mean, in terms of number of teams in that league. And then, David, I mean, maybe you can shine a bit of a light on, on sort of Scottish football because how many Champions League places are you guaranteed this year in Scotland? Is it two? Just one. Just, Just one, one, is it? Good. Uh, Celtic and Rangers in particular, in fairness, have had a, a really good run of European football, so... In terms of the the uh, what you call it, the coefficients, yeah, yeah. So making good inroads there, uh, but I think you referenced uh, the situation with Hearts, where all players were asked to take a fifty percent pay cut, and I think that uh, there's some sort of whispers that the players have declined that. It was interesting, and Hearts are one of the better run football clubs, uh, performing really poorly in a sort of football side of things at the moment, but. They're one of the better run football clubs in Scotland and I know that uh, on Lee's Game of Two Scars podcast there's a guy, I can't remember his name, but he's from a sort of Newcastle Fans Association and he'd sort of, oh, yeah. he'd sort of described the Hearts fan owner model. Yeah, well, Alex Hurst. Yeah, yeah, so he, he described that as, as one of the sort of, uh, the better way of operating and, and one of the ways to take out Ashley potentially. But even with that good model, Hearts are struggling. And I saw uh, something on Twitter in the last few days, and it showed you the amount of cash reserves that each club has and how many days that would effectively last them. And the picture isn't good for Scottish football. Uh, I don't know if you saw the last few days, the Rangers chairman resigned and knew that they were expecting uh, is now uncertain as well. So it's not... uh, it's not a good picture for Scottish clubs. I think it's fair to say that only only Celtic really are in a, a strong financial position. And while Celtic fans such as myself might see that as a positive, you need clubs to play against, don't you? And uh, the picture looks pretty bleak. And, and the longer the shutdown, the lockdown goes on, the bleaker it gets. It's not just, uh, I don't think it's just Scottish clubs in League One and Championship clubs are affected too. I don't know if you saw today, but Juventus have frozen players' wages for the next mm. four months. They reckon that's going to save them about 8 million euros. So, uh, I, I wonder what your take is on... We, we spoke before this call about how the way we work and the way we live might change, but do you think the that football, even of the, the big money clubs, might change uh, as a result of this? Go on, mate. <laughs> well, yes, uh, obviously I'm supporting one of the big money clubs at the minute. <laughs> That might come off still. But no, I think, I mean, just generally, David, I, I, I think the way, the way uh, without getting too political, um, people think about money and the distribution. This, this is going to change, change uh, 
the way a lot of people think. I don't know what he doing. There's a dog getting involved in your face, Obviously, this, this isn't going to work when you're on a podcast, but there, there, was a, there was a dog attack. But I, I think, yeah, people, I mean, with, with the Juventus players there, I wonder if, if that happens in England, are clubs going to rely on this uh, the government to pay 80% of the players' salaries and yeah. they cover the, the other 20 because I know Sunderland's doing that with not the playing staff, but some of the, the, the other staff that supports the club. So a lot of those have been put on this, what's called furlough. Yeah, leave, furlough. Yeah. Um, and the government's going to be paying 80% of their salary, which is fair enough, uh, the, the people behind the scenes, and uh, the club will pay the other 20. But I don't think that the, the general population would accept that for a footballer, do you? I mean... <laughs> Kevin De Bruyne going on fur- furlough leave, getting uh, 300 grand a week paid by the government. That'll be, ni- that'll be nice, wouldn't it? Yeah, I, I'm sure that won't um, that won't get past <laughs> the front pages, will it? But yeah, I, I don't I don't know. Um, and you'd hope that you know footballers are, are well, they should be nowadays more sensible with their money. I know a lot of them are given sort of financial advice at a very young age as soon as they get their first pro deal now. Um, so you'd hope that there'd be a I don't know a, a contingency sort of planning in place for this sort of stuff, but yeah, I, 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 I think what's more important is the people who um, the stewards, you know, the program sellers, you know, the the the, the, the I don't know the, the rest of the you know, the catering staff, perhaps in the stadium. These are people which aren't really thought of when people think of football, but on when it comes to sort of the match day match day. Turnover and everything, you know, they're really important. And they're if there's no match days, you know, they're, they're not going to be involved. So that's why I think it's important that more Premier League clubs and hopefully this filters further down as well. I know Palace have committed to top, committed to you know paying what they call their the match day and non-match day staff um, throughout this. They're not going to be laying anyone off. Um, but I think we, was it Bradford or I might be speaking out of turn there, but I, I think one of the the League One clubs. Um, I've had to sort of make quite a few people redundant. Was it? Um, it was Barnet, wasn't it? And then they went back on it, didn't they? There was a news story broke about Barnet, I think, about them having to make a lot of their sort of non-match day staff or match day staff um, redundant. And then there was a big outcry, so much so that they were forced to reinstate them. I think. Yeah. Well, you know, we've got a series starting on the first of April, Sun Until I Die, on Netflix, series two. Um, series one, you, 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 if you're watching, you might, you might remember the incident with Jack Rodwell. Yes. And similar to this, we weren't in a crisis, a financial crisis then. Uh, the club were, but the, the general UK wasn't. But at the time when the club was really struggling, you've got Jack Rodwell, you know, he's very friendly with the catering staff, the security people, almost matey, and they've, they've got this great relationship. But when push comes to shove, he was earning 70 grand a week. The club were trying to sell him. They had clubs interested, and he just wouldn't. He wouldn't budge. He wouldn't go, and that resulted in, in staff who you thought he was friendly with losing the jobs. So it depends on the footballers, I suppose, as to uh, where the, the moral compass lies. But he just is a bad example, and, and it still amazes me. I'm going off on a bit of a tangent here. Like I shouldn't have started calling for Jack Rodwell. I need some alcohol. Um, <laughs> It amazes me how he ended up at a Premier League club. He's probably one of the worst signings, if not the worst signing that we've ever made. Uh, and and he, did, he couldn't even cut in the Championship. So how he's ended up at Sheffield United, I don't know. Anyway, there you go. There's my little rant over. I don't know that story about the, his refusal to move on. 
effectively make other people watch their jobs and yeah. that's yeah. scumbag behaviour it is well, well 70, he was on um, he was on 70 grand a week that's probably three or four people's salary yeah. But, then, but then I guess you, know, you, you could argue also the clubs kind of at fault there in, in terms of not future planning and putting in sort of some relegation clause in his contract as oh, well. Definitely, definitely, yeah. And that, I mean, that, that was the previous ownership though, um, mm. or the previous manage, managing director, I, I don't know. But yeah, I mean, that, that again, that came across loud and clear, Luke, in that first series. The, the club was so badly run, it was inevitable uh, that what happened to us eventually did happen to us that was inevitable we, we just scraped survival for the previous two or three seasons anyhow um, but yeah the ifs and buts I suppose but the, the, the contracts on a lot of players whoever negotiated them they're another person who shouldn't get another job in football in mm. my view if, if, if I remember correctly um, I think his argument was at the time was that he was injured wasn't he and he said because uh, um, I think it was in the January window they were trying to sell him and he said that uh, he didn't want to go now because he wasn't able to showcase his abilities to get another club, which which was which was his argument. Although you know, I don't know how valid that is. I mean, it's it's kind of plausible, I guess, to an extent. But um, you, you do wonder how much of it was the case of that there's no one interested no matter what, <laughs> let alone if he's playing or not. Yeah. I guess. But he, he was also saying at the same time, Luke, um, he he was good enough to play in England in the England team, and okay. he just wasn't. He wasn't. Um, I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to, the, the podcast to be taken over by Jack Rodwell, but he said a lot of things, and, and yeah, I mean, he was injured at the time, but the club supported him through that injury, and yeah. through the rehabilitation, he, he, he came back, and he was still offered deals, he was offered loan deals, even, and he just wouldn't punch, he was, he was happy sitting, he's, he's 70 grand a week and not playing. That's, that's that's a good shout actually. Maybe, maybe that's a good topic to go into. What about mercenaries then? Can you can you can you name one or maybe a, a couple of mercenaries that have played for your club in the last I don't know, 10, 15 years or so? I mean, obviously you've mentioned Rodwell there, but I'm sure there's others that spring to mind. Me and David as well be interested from a you know the, Scotland who have had such a successful spell in the last sort of 10, 20 years in, in Scottish football. Um, you know the, the biggest club. You know winning the most. Uh, silverware, you must have attracted um, a certain type of player, a player that potentially is only there for the money, or do you think, or, or, or am I am I by the mark there? No, no, I think yeah, uh, I think I think the, the thing about the Celtic team at the moment is that, that they don't have sort of characters like that on the face of it anyway. But, but certainly, I, I think these characters tend to show up as well when you're going through rough times rather than going through better times I think when you're going through better times when you're winning plenty you can almost afford to carry these passengers and the most guy comes to mind uh, we had a centre half uh, called Bobo Baldi oh, I remember him remember Bobo Baldi aye yeah. uh, an absolute unit uh, he had three or four good seasons uh, which is pretty good you know but one of Martin O'Neill, and I love Martin O'Neill, but one of his last acts was to give him a five-year deal at 30 grand a week. And he was absolutely hopeless by this time. And he stayed and for the duration of his contract. And, and 30 grand a week in Scotland, the guys know, is probably makes you the biggest wage earner at the club. So, so he stayed on that and, and threw down that. Uh, I think the centre-halves as well. 
Donald, you guys remember John Barnes, ill fated uh, spell as Celtic manager. I'm not sure if you Yeah, yeah. I joke after that. But we signed this guy called Rafael, a Brazilian centre half. And apart from like Thiago Silva, Brazilian centre halves tend to be pretty uh, poor, don't they? Uh, this guy's full name was Raphael Wright. Uh, <laughs> it's completely up. Uh, we signed him for 4.7 million. Again, big money for a Scottish club. He played once and he was absolutely useless. But apparently, Kenny Dalglish and John Barnes had signed him uh, because apparently he'd had 12 caps from Brazil. It turned out that he'd had 12 caps for the Brazilian Olympic team, which I think in the higher teams. It's like a fifth or sixth tier. This guy lived up to the name. He was absolutely dreadful. He played one game and uh, was there for a few seasons and moved on. But probably all-time top mercenary and all-time worst signing as well. What about you guys? Go, go on, Lee. If you can think of another one apart from Rob Will. We've had, yeah, we've, we've had a, a few. There's a couple of spring to mind. But Baldi, is it Boba Baldi that the... the uh, the, the one you mentioned, David. How, how long ago was that, roughly? So he probably signed that deal in the 2003, 2004 season. Ah, right. So that, that wasn't the guy who headbutted Stuart Pearce, was it? No, you're thinking of Basil Bolly. Basil Bolly, that's right. Aye, aye, we off. So, look, right. Um, the, the, the mercenaries at that spring of mine from Sunderland. Um, there's a guy who played in Scotland, Juf. Remember El Hans Juf? Yes. Yeah. He didn't like him at all. He's gone back. He was, wasn't he? Was he, was he Celtic? A spitter, wasn't he? He was a, he was a spitter. Celtic don't say players like that. No way. Yeah. Way. So I, I don't know why he came to the club, uh, but he did. He, he ended up at Sunderland and um, just hopeless. Uh, another one, actually, who I would say he's a bit of a mercenary, but he. he he had a couple of good game shows. Can I remember Asamojian? Oh, yeah. He was a player. He had that great World Cup. Did, yeah. did, uh, didn't, so he wear, didn't he wear number three, though? Yeah. I spoke to David about this before. I, I don't like my, my, my football kit numbers to be messed up. If he's number three, he's playing up front. He's, he's, <laughs> yeah, he's, he's like dirt to me already. So he, he did have, I mean, he, he scored a, a couple of uh, really important goals for us. Breeze, another one he, he ended up in. Um, did he go over to Saudi Arabia to play or something? somewhere like that some, some crazy league um, and the one that got away have you heard the story about uh, Roy Keane when he, he thought about signing Robbie Savage love that love that what's I, up <laughs> you heard that brilliant have you heard the story behind that oh it's brilliant go on so he, uh, he he was looking for a sort of a bit of steel in in, in midfield. And he was also looking for someone to buy the dressing room. It was uh, it was when he was trying to get us uh, sort of promoted uh, from the championship. And somebody mentioned Robbie Savage, and he was like, oh, "I'm a bit unsure of him to be honest." But uh, anyway, this bloke who scouted him said, "I'll go for him, give him a go." And he, he rang him, and it went to Robbie Savage's voicemail. Roy Keane's ringing Robbie Savage's voicemail, and he hears. What's up? And Roy Keane thought, fuck that, I'm not having, I'm not having <laughs> <laughs> That's it, that's what it took. And that was the end of it. Roy Keane wrote about that in his book. And Bobby, you hear Bobby Savage talking about it and he went, I didn't know anything about this until I read it in Roy Keane's book. <laughs> oh no, could you imagine? Uh, what about Palliston? 
So, I don't know if it's a bit of a cop-out answer, but kind of related to what David was saying, I think because Palace have been on hard times, you know, so much in the last sort of 15 years or so, I mean, obviously 2010, we had a, a group of players who, you know, for, for about six months or so, weren't getting paid on time, and then they weren't sure if they were getting paid every month. But to come out there and pretty much save the club from liquidation by keeping them in the league, you know, making them a profitable club to, to look to buy. Although, if you listen to Steve Parrish, he said he probably would have bought them if they got relegated anyway. Um, you know, I think because we've had that, it, it's hard to sort of to know any players because Palace don't tend to tend to go for those sort of players. I mean, it, it tends to be that Palace tend to value the character of the player and you know you've got to look at the squad at the moment you know you've got people like James McCarthy and Joel Ward James McArthur um, I, I think you've got very work on that players uh, players that have been there for a while um, I mean if, if I was probably to name one I'd probably look at when we came up 2013 we, we bought Ian Holloway bought a hell of a lot of players just for like, sort of like one season deals and things like that um, Jimmy Kevin, um came in and I remember he was just very, very poor. And there were some rumours about him sort of not wanting to train as well. And things like that. I don't know how true, true they were, I must say. Um, but he was very poor. Jerome Thomas as well. I'll never forget against Everton at home. Um, we were really up against it at this point. I think this was, might have been before Pulis came in. And uh, he was one-on-one -on -one with the keeper and he tried to, tried to chip him. And it just completely failed. And I always hated him for that. I, I don't necessarily think that makes him a mercenary, but it was just one of them players that you just think that, well, where's your head at, mate? If, if, you, if you're in an important game and you're looking to do something stupid, it's sort of like those people with those Penenka penalties, isn't it? Just like, put your foot through it, lad. Pick a corner. Yeah. You could do a, you could do a separate podcast on that. I'm sure if we all put some thought in it, uh, football, yeah, there'd be, there'd be loads. Go on, David. Is there something they'll look about make sure you sign players who have got the right mentality that are going to fit in? And I remember uh, in Liverpool for me at the moment are the epitome of that. And I remember in some, do you know that? Uh, he's a French player called Nabil Fakir. He was at Leon and he was in talks with Liverpool. Okay. And uh, pretty much a done deal, done the medical, done the deal. And uh, agreed the contract on the Facebook, but then Fakir's agent came back and said, No, I want a wee bit more money. And I think Klopp at that point came back and said, Nah, I can afford it, but that's not the kind of player I want in my dressing room. Uh, and I think that that's uh, the right is as important as uh, all the other attributes on the park. And I, I, yeah. I so That's interesting, isn't it? Because I mean, in a sense, that might not even have been him. That have been his, might have been his agent that had been sort of pushing for that. And you know, subsequently, he's sort of done his his player out of uh, of a big money move, and obviously hurt himself as a way in, in, in the way. But I guess you could argue that the player has to make sure he picks a person to represent him that is reflective of his own of his own qualities and, and characteristics as well. So, yeah, it, it, that's an interesting one, isn't it? Yeah, you've got. I mean, I, I'm, a, I'm a big believer in that. If the uh, if the player's attitude's not right, I'd just not rather have part of the club. You know, I mean, we've just getting rid of Ian McGeady, and it's never been sort of officially communicated why by the club. But the rumours are he was just such a negative impact in the dressing room, especially with the younger players. And there's pictures of 
uh, just a couple of weeks before he ended up leaving, of him sitting eating a McDonald's um, like day or two after after a match or something, you know, in a McDonald's restaurant. So I mean, people might say, well, they're allowed one little luxury, but if you're a professional footballer, your team's struggling. You, you don't want to be pitching eating a McDonald's. Yeah. Uh, but then, and then on, on the sort of the opposite of that, we are massively Catamore fan, and I know fans. If you if if he's not playing for you for your team, he's the type of player where other fans hate him. But yeah. he was a hundred percent, and you could see him constantly gearing the team on on the pitch. That's the type of person you want in your dressing room as well. We've missed him massively. Where did he go? Where can we? Um, he went over to, I think it was a Dutch team, wasn't it? I'm sure he's, uh, was it Dutch? I'm sure he went over there and died, played for a Dutch team. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think so. What, what was that then? Is that because he was just getting older and you think that he can keep up with the, the, the sort no, of... No, we, we needed to cut the wage bill. He was one of the, the, the ones on a, a big uh, a big salary. So if we did get promoted from League One, uh, the first attempt... But with the championship, I think he would have still been here. Uh, but because we didn't, we had to cut our cloth, and he was one of the players we had to release. Mm. Oh, interesting. I, I, want to, I want to speak to you actually about where Sunderland were. I know you said they were in a bit of a run of form, but I think playoffs were were sort of pretty much um, assured. But, but before we do that, David, can I just ask you around Celtic? Obviously, have got a lead and, and the potential to sort of go further ahead, didn't they, with the game against Rangers, which got postponed. Um, I mean, where did you see it realistically before this all happened? You know, where did you see the, the sort of the season going for, for Celtic? Did you think that you know a couple of games into the split, it would have the league split? You know, uh, Celtic would have done it. Yeah, I think I, I mentioned uh, the start of the pod about how Rangers won the game at New Year at Celtic Park on uh, 29th of December. That was the last game before the winter break, and. There was a the feeling probably for the first time in a number of years that right, this isn't assured and there's a proper threat in our hands. If Rangers win their game in hand, then they're effectively uh, well they are So the way Celtic came back after the winter break and the way Rangers pretty much capitulated uh, meant that I was as confident about this title as about any in the last run of eight. Uh, I know I mentioned in a Old pod, I think we're, we're, in, uh, we're in Glasgow and Louch on Bath Street having a few Guinness. Eric Speechenko, Mark, thanks again for that. <laughs> but I mentioned at that point about how in the Scottish football psyche, getting to nine in a row and then getting to ten in a row is the holy grail. Uh, nine in a row has been done twice. It's been done by Celtic in the 1670s, that team that won the Union Cup. And it was done by Rangers when they were utterly dominant in the 90s. And I grew up watching that Rangers team just dominate. Uh, I never thought the team would turn. We're in the cusp of nine titles now. And that's, I think that's what makes this. You, you don't want an asterisk next to this title, you know. Mm. Uh, you, you want to finish the season just coming back to, to where we're at. I think, I think the shutdown... The momentum was with Celtic, you know, and Rangers were absolutely falling to pieces. It suited them then, but everything's so uncertain now. I don't, know, I don't know how things play out. I really don't. But uh, like I said previously, I just hope we get a chance to finish this season because that historic aspect of this season as well, of getting to nine in a row, 
uh, being the first team to do that twice and potentially going for 10 next year. Uh, yeah. yeah. Ram. <laughs> what, about, what about you, Lee? Is, is automatic promotion out, out, out of the question now for Sunderland? No, not at all. I mean, we, we, we're only, um, I think it was three points off uh, an automatic promotion spot, although the top two had a game and one, one had one game and the other had two games in hand, I think. Then we were, we were seventh, but we're on equal sort of level points with uh, six spot. Right. The, the the problem with Sunderland was, or the concern, was we'd, we'd had a bit of a slide, so we'd lost and drawn our last three games, I think, um, or four games. So it's been a while since we'd had a win, but, but we'd also lost against Portsmouth, which is a big uh, a, a big game for us. Strangely for me, I was talking to, talking to some of the lads about this, if, if say, they did finish the, the season behind closed doors, they, they couldn't let sort of the fans in, I think that would suit Sunderland, where we are, because if uh, what's watching us, you can see every now and again when we turn it on, um, we, and I'm not just saying this because I'm biased, I'm saying this as a, someone who is at my football and like dream watching this, we're, we're better we're level up um, than most teams in that division when we when we play like we can. But there's a there's a lot of um, young kids, experienced uh, players who've not played in front of thirty thousand crowds, and I think that brings a, a big pressure that just yeah. some players can't handle. And I can't I can't remember who it was. One of the um, oh, it was Chris Waddle. We had Chris Waddle on our podcast um, a month or two back, and he talked about this. And he said he's played with some of, some of the best players he's played with. Um, he's seen in training, just haven't been able to turn it on the pitch because the, they can't deal with the pressure. He went, you, unless you've done it yourself, it's it's difficult to sort of explain how that affects you, either in a good way or a bad way. And I think too many of our players, it affects in a bad way. So we're not out of it. If they did finish the season, like I said, it's, it's still realistic that we could get an automatic spot, never mind a playoff place. But if we finished it behind closed doors, interestingly, I think that would work in our favour. That's a, that's an interesting point. I mean, as for Palace, I um, you know, a bit, it's a bit like Celtic situation. You know, Palace were sort of had the momentum behind them. They had a, you know, I think we won the last three games, so it was the worst time for Palace to stop playing. Really, um, although saying that, you know, we had uh, difficult games against Liverpool coming up, and uh, I think our last running wasn't very favourable anyway. But you know. I, I think Palace were well on their way to beating the highest ever Premier League points total. Um, and given the fact that Roy Hudson's done this with a hand tied behind his back in terms of no transfer budget whatsoever, is nothing short of miraculous. And Roy needs to be given the, the, the keys to London, let alone Croydon, i tell you that. You're a big boy fan, Luke. I've got to admire your consistency there, man, because uh, not, not, not all the fans have stuck with him, but uh, I agree with you. I think he's a, I think he's a cracker manager. It's, it's, it, I think it's everything about the bloke, the way he presents himself, the way he talks. He's he's a very pragmatic bloke. I think I can relate to that as well. I, I think it depends on your, your your personality as well, how well as you you relate and like your your manager. I think it depends on if you have similar maybe outlooks. Um, and yeah, he's he's just a very pragmatic manager who who never gets led down the um, the route of you know questioning by certain journalists. He's, he's he sticks to his guns. And yeah, like I said, I think he's got a net thirty million pound deficit budget. You know that in the last since he's been at the club, and yet he's 
got us our highest ever points total with the Premier League last season, and he's on course to do even better this season. I, I just think it's nothing short of miraculous. And, and going back to what you know, I, I sort of alluded to earlier around the sort of the, the similarities of what Bobby Robson said, I think. Unfortunately, no one will appreciate the job Roy Hodgson's done at Crystal Palace until he's not there. Mm. Well, you've got to be careful what you wish for. He's yeah. uh, definitely, I mean, in terms of what you talk about there, his post-match interviews are just genuine when you hear him speaking. He's a very articulate bloke, isn't he? And uh, he, he makes his point well in his experience as well. And that's part of management. It's one of the, you've got to accept it now. It's one of the skill sets that's needed to manage the media. And he, he does it ever so well. Well, you've got it with players now, aren't you now? I mean, players that come out of academies and get their first professional contracts. I mean, they're given media training. It, it, yeah. it's, it's, it's crazy. I mean, that's why it's so nice when all of a sudden, you know, every now and then you'll see a player who's so buzzed after a game, after, you know, doing whatever, that they actually let their guard down a little bit and you get a little insight into their personality when, when you do a post-match interview. Because normally it's the same old boring, you know, uh, mundane answers that you get from so many pre- professional players now, isn't it? And, and it's quite nice to have that personality. That's a good question then. Go on, I'll throw that one out there. Who do you think has had the best um, or most you know, relatable personality at your club in terms of player in the last 10 years or so? I may, maybe it's not probably it's a bit harsh to throw it at you straight away. I think looking at Palace, um, just to give you, give you two some thinking time, um, Vicente Guaita, the, the goalkeeper, um, he, he really has connected with the fan base well. You know, he, he connects via social media and he's always smiling and, and you know, there's something about a warmth of a, of a character. I wonder if, if you can sort of name any that, that you can, you know, men, remember in the last 10 years or so at your clubs. Easy for me. I'll go. I'll go. go on. Uh, it's got to be sweet Luke Warnine. He's, uh, he's a beautiful person inside and out. Uh, the, the fans just love him. Um, he's one of these he gives 100% and he's always got time for the fans I bumped into him uh, locally and uh, got my picture took with him I had a bit of a chat with him he's just a lovely bloke really nice and the fans love love anyone who gives 100% don't they yeah. and if you've got a bit of skill to go with that which is what he has in our division he's uh, he's the boy David um, it, it's tempting to go for somebody who's a sort of born and bred Celtic boy, you know, guy who's come up through the youth and I could say Kieran Tierney, I could say Callum McGregor, I could say James Forrest, but I'm going to go a Swedish right-back called Mikael Lustig, and he's an example of somebody who came, he didn't know anything in the club, but he got the club, you know, and uh, my favourite, I'm talking about football withdrawal symptoms, I watched my favourite Mikael, my two favourite Mikael Lustig moments uh, just today, he scored at Ibrooks against Rangers to make it 5-1. Uh, one of the best goal celebrations I've ever seen. Then he didn't score. And then in another game at Celtic Park, which I watched today, you can tell I'm desperate for, for my football fix here. Uh, Celtic uh, beat Rangers 5-0. And you can tell how selective I've been here. I'm not watching the, the defeats. I'm not watching the, the nil-nils. I'm watching the absolute hammerings. Uh, <laughs> Lustig uh, celebrates and he, ru- he runs up to a, uh, a police officer, grabs her hat, puts it on and runs to the c- crowd. <laughs> he's, he's been affectionately known as PC Lustig uh, ever since then. Uh, <laughs> but if, you have, if you're looking for a good goal celebration to watch, I'll, I'll send that to the group afterwards. It's, 
Absolute class. Yeah, definitely. We'll, we'll put that on the, the six point uh, Twitter page as well for other people to enjoy as well. Um, no, I'd, I'd love to see that. There is there is certain there is certain types of player, though, isn't there? They just have that automatic connection with fans. It seems. And Lee, it might be as to, to what you say. You know, they they work hard if they've got a little bit of skill. But David also alluding to what you said. You know, some sometimes you just get a feeling that a player. It gets the club, and I think that's that's what you were saying with Lustig. I think it's the same with Vicente Guaita earlier. I mean, you just sometimes feel that there's, and, and credit to maybe it's credit to the recruitment teams, and we need to give them a little bit more credit in the sense that you know people are out there scouting these sort of players, and it's not just on ability. Surely, it's, it's on other characteristics, which obviously makes people think that when you're building a squad now. Uh, you know, there's, there's maybe that's why there's so much money put put around recruitment because it's not just because you know the total amount of money being exchanged is, is that vast, but it's the fact that you're trying to build something for the next two, three, four years or so, and you want that sort of right sort of character involved. And, you know, to be able to pick a, a certain type of personality and character is a skill, isn't it? Um, to even be able to identify it you know, in the first place, let alone then to go and secure a deal with that player. So um, perhaps we need to be giving a lot more sort of credit to, to the people involved in the recruitment side of things. Yeah. Mind you, I would still do it like that. That that would probably be my dream job. I think I would do that for nil cost. Yeah, Travelling around, just expenses paid, that's all I need. And a little bit of LB money. Travelling around the world, scouting players for me club. How mm. good would that be? Living a dream, isn't it? I've, I've said before that people are missing a trick uh, by not uh, recruiting Luke to be Navy. Because he was talking about Haaland when nobody was talking about Haaland. Now everybody's talking about Haaland, talking about going for, for 80 million. But definitely. Luke told me about him when he was still at Mulder uh, and he's been absolutely bang on about what a player. Destined to be the best player in the world for me. He is, isn't he? He's got everything. I mean, it was quite strange seeing him. It was almost like they called him like the, uh, the baby-faced monster at Mulder because he was coming through 16, 17 years old and even at 15, you know, he was built like a a brick shit house and you know he just had this young face and I just remember obviously you need to appreciate that the the, the defending at, uh, in the Elite Seven uh, isn't perhaps of a standard of a Australian Austrian Bundesliga or even the Bundesliga in Germany but um, he was it looked like men versus boys and then he rolled away in celebration you see this face of like looked like a 12 year old boy it built on these massive shoulders it was just uh, it was something funny but you know it's, it's been great to see him develop um, but that's, that's, I think that's the beauty of why I enjoy watching Scandinavian football so much because you, you get so many clubs that have to rely on their academies and you know you get to see these glimpses of, of brilliances even if it's just for sort of a couple of months before they're picked up by the big boys Um but yeah, it, it, it's worth it you know, to see them in their in their sort of I don't know. It's like watching a, a lion in the uh, in the jungle, isn't it? You're seeing them in a natural habitat, and it, it's it's lovely to see them. What would he be worth now than Duran? God, uh, God what, what was the figure announced? Or they, they were talking about David was eighty. Like, I think that's where it started. With I mean, the, the guy's that good. Nineteen. He's nineteen. You know. The, the, the first the first leg game against uh, Paris Saint Germain that goal he scored that sort of epitomises oh there's um, <laughs> we've got another dog involved there uh, mm. that sort of epitomises the type of player he is the power because he, he looks he looks like a, a, I think he looks a bit lazy at times but yeah. he's not he's just one of these he bursts when he goes into action he's, got a turn there's of no pace, one, he? yeah. he's like a steamroller I like Chris yeah. 
Scandinavia. Sorry, who's the next big talent to come out look? Scandinavian football. I think when you look at um, the Danish Super League, I think I've mentioned players like Victor Nelson, the centre back, who I think looks looks like he's got it all. You know, physically he's very big, but also he's got the technical ability. And you would you would have probably seen him, I think, in the second leg um, against Celtic. I think he he played at. Um, at your ground, um, and I think he's, he looks like an impressive um, prospect, and certainly people have, in Denmark and I have spoke about him being a potential Danish national team captain as well. Um, but Mo Durant is a, another winger who plays for Copenhagen. I think he, he's going to be pretty good. But I mean, I think uh, it was Bodo Glimps in the Norwegian um, Elite Seren last season sold Hakan Evgen, and he went to AZ Alkmaar. Um, and I think he's going to be a, a, a real player, that's for sure. Nice. Can you give us a bit of an insight into Scottish football? Is there any, any untapped talent maybe coming through Celtic's Academy themselves or, or even wider that, that you'd, you'd say we need to keep our eyes out for? Uh, Norwegian centre half called Chris Ayer. Yes, uh, know about him. Yeah. One uh, good player. His agents start to tout him around. So, and that's another thing I'm beginning to wonder about. Guys who you love who are featuring your team at the moment have we seen the last of them you know uh, the, the big one of course is Watson Edward who I know you you saw yeah. the RB Leipzig game he just keeps improving he's, he's got everything uh, it, it, it's really you see a player so composed and when, when Rodgers was at Celtic still uh, he said that he reckoned that Edward was better than Dembele who's really? and linked with Chelsea and, and Man U, and, uh, he's got that potential. So I, I'll be really surprised if Edward isn't a, a huge club in the next uh, three or four years. I, I just I get to see him myself to Chelsea again. Yeah, I, I saw that uh, Arsenal potentially interested in him, um, and there was that rumours around as well. I mean, Palace potentially could have had the opportunity to sign him, I think, um, in the last transfer window, but obviously didn't do anything. But there was that rumours. But then again, you're going to a player like that. You're going to have a lot of clubs watching, aren't you? Um, I, interesting. You mentioned the game that we went to. Uh, I think it was Kirantini scored the only goal, wasn't he, um, yeah. in the second minute against Leipzig? Um, but yeah, Edward that day, um, I. I reckon he looked a bit like Paul Inazzo at the time, and he was a player who played for FC Vigiland. And he was someone that stuck out to me because I think he's about six foot six, six foot seven. Um, and he's physically, you know, just wide as well. And Edouard looked like that. I know he's not that tall, but he's, he's got that presence of, of player. And you just think that anyone like that, if, they, if you give them the right coaching, then they've got the opportunity to be a, an absolute world-class player, you know, a world-beater. Um, so, yeah, Edward reminded me of a bloke called Paul Niacho, who went into um, KAA Ghent, actually, um, in the Belgian League. And I, I, hopefully I'll see him in the Premier League soon. But, Lee, can you, can you give us a bit of a... Who used to look out for in, in, in League One or who you've seen perhaps coming through your academy? Well, not really. Uh, to be honest, there's, there's, not, there's no one going to set the world light in the Premier League or the, uh, the, the Scottish Premier Division. But there's, there's a young lad at left-back for us, Denver Hume, and I think he will go either way. He, he's absolutely cracking going forward. And he's one of these, he, just, he seems to fall past a man. He's more like a winger. But defensively, he's, he's not that great. He, he reminds us of um, he's a bit he's a bit like Van Anholt who you got from us. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Quick, he's more skillful than Van Anholt, so he's wanting to watch. Maybe sorry, me me dog's in a hoop here because I'm sitting. 
I'm sitting on his beanbag and he's trying to, he's trying to go on his beanbag. Hey, get off. Uh, the other one, um, not playing for us at the minute, but I'm sure, I'm sure I heard Palace were linked with him was Josh Mazer. Yes, that's right. Now, he, he is just a, a goal machine. Now he was he was banging them in for us uh, when he when he was here, and I think that's cost us promotion, uh, letting him go. But he's a tight player. He's, he's not he's, he's quick, but he's not got blistering pace. What he has got, he just fin- he's, he's a finisher. So, so um, what, what was the story then? Because I know that Sunderland didn't want to have to sell him, did they? But they did in the end. Um, but then I think he went. Did he go to France? But he did his knee, didn't he? In like his first game or something like that. Yeah, he did. I so he, he was injured, and uh, I think he's, he's playing now, though. What he was before the, uh, the 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 sort of the virus hit all the football, and he started uh, scoring on a regular basis as well for them, right. which is probably probably where the interest from Palace, and I'm sure there was another Premier League looking at another Premier League club looking at him as well. But if you, he's one of these. He doesn't do much else other than score goals, <laughs> and if you. If you if you've got a team where you can afford that type of player in it, he's he's a machine. He's a goal machine. No, I think he's scoring any league. He's only a young kid as well, you know. So he's going to improve. Uh, he's still got. He's still going to improve. He's not Holland level, but uh, he's not a bad bet for for a Premier League club. I think. So was it was it purely financial that that Sunderland let him go? Was it an offer they couldn't refuse? Or I think our our chairman uh, messed up. Uh, with that one, and he sort of almost admitted that he wished he, he, he wished he'd broke the bank to keep him. Uh, the players' agent wanted him to go, uh, or he wanted more money. Now we should have just given whatever he wanted to stay until the end of the season, and I think his goals would have kept us uh, kept us up, but we didn't. We uh, we let him go. So it was financial, and our chairman, uh, the first, one of the first thing the interviews they gave Donald and Metvin. Um, they said the, the piss up party stops now, and uh, the piss take party, sorry, stops now. And, and I think they were, they were sort of trying to hard to keep that mantra. And uh, I'm sure I've heard him admit that, admit that is a mistake, one of his big mistakes, letting him go. Well, that, that was quite interesting. I think in the in the that's what you see um, in the trailer for Sunday Until I Die series two, don't you? You see that exact quote, don't you? That, or them saying, yeah. like, was that a fans forum or something? They said that. Um, it might have been, yeah. They, they used to do that quite often, and the, there's also a podcast, uh, the Rogue Report. They used to get them on quite regular, but then Metfin especially had a big fallout with the fans, and he stepped down uh, from the board. Now we still got a stake in the club, and Donald obviously his fallout. But somebody was saying, um, who's part of Fulwell '73. This second series, it's it's a bit cringy for these two. I think the two chairmen's not going to come out of it well. Now I don't I don't know for a fact that might be just word of mouth, but uh, I, I'm hearing a bit like uh, Martin Bain in the first series. He was he was like Ricky Gervais character in uh, in the office for me, and I think these two are going to come across pretty.
pretty similar by the sounds of it. It's different, we'll isn't it? Because they're always going to be labelled with some sort of character, aren't they? It, when, when you're given uh, sort of a documentary setting. But I tell you, I can't wait for it. I'm, 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 you know, I know we haven't got much else to look forward to at the moment. But Wednesday, that's my Wednesday sort. Well, Wednesday evening, sorry, after work, obviously. Um, but that's my Wednesday sort. You know, I can't wait till four o'clock on Wednesday. I'm just going to turn the laptop off and sit there and watch that as sort of back to back as much as I can. Um, that's probably what we'll do. I, I'll finish it uh, a night or two with uh, with my youngest Ross and my wife. She'll be watching it. The Six Pointer Podcast. Uh-huh.